Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Todd A. and Jared W. Carrie Knoll has joined us on the show today. Carrie is Executive Chairman and Director of Generation Mining, a palladium platinum focused advanced exploration company advancing the Marathon deposit in Northern Ontario, Canada. The company is listed on the Canadian Securities Exchange under the symbol GENM and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol GENMF. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, Kerry, I suspect uh, most of our audience doesn't know who you are. So let's start off with covering your background and then also your past experience in the natural resource business. All right. Well, I uh, started off as a journalist back in the day in the early 80s, and I was writing about financial things and started focusing on mining. And, and around that time, there was a couple of big discoveries. And one of those discoveries in particular, Hemlo, was uh, I was very involved in. In writing about that and that turned out to be a 25 million ounce discovery so i got into the whole mining cult if you want to call it that i, I uh, and in in uh, 1987 i started my first mining company and that was called glencairn gold and i had that company for 20 years and by the end of it we were operating uh, three gold mines in central america one in costa rica two in nicaragua um, eventually those were sold to b2 gold in I think 2007 or 8 and two of those three mines are still operating and in fact the third one I think just reopened so I was uh, onto something good back then and, and those were B2's first operating gold mines uh, and they sold them recently to Calibre. Um, simultaneous to all of that I started a company in 1991 called Wheaton River Minerals and Wheaton built and operated the first successful heap leach mine in Canada and I think to this day still the only one I don't know why others haven't done it. Um, we eventually uh, attracted the attention of uh, Frank Juster and his group of investors, and they bought control of the company in the early 2000s, and they uh, they took it to the next level. They went on a buying rampage and uh, uh, eventually turned it into Gold Corp, which uh, until recently was taken over by, by Newmont. Uh, in 2004, uh, my partner and I started uh, a company called Blue Pearl Mining, and it uh, famously went from $0.10 cents to $24 over the next two years. We were producing uh, 5% of the world's molybdenum and a uh, very, very profitable company. And it was listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and then uh, around 2007, I kind of retired. But I've come out of retirement several times. Um, not all of my ventures have been successful. I, I took over as, as chairman, non-executive chairman of a company called Canada Lithium, and we built a lithium mine in Quebec that was eventually taken over by one of uh, Lucas Lundin's companies and renamed RB Energy, and, uh, event, but it eventually failed. They could not get the refinery working properly. And I eventually partnered up with a fellow, Jamie Levy, who's the CEO of Generation Mining. And Jamie is a, is a financial uh, background. And he worked for a, a number of different uh, groups in, in the Toronto area. And he um, and I started a company 
called in 2016 called Pine Point Mining, and we were developing a zinc project in the Northwest Territories, and uh, that was taken over in 2017 by a company called those Cisco Metals. And so uh, they they didn't want to pay us for our exploration assets, so we spun out Generation Mining from that company. But my my background has always been building mines. Of the six companies previous to this that I've started, uh, four of them got into production. Um, one of them got to feasibility, and one of them, Pine Point, got to PEA before it was taken over. But all six were taken over at one point. And so this is number seven, and uh, we scoured the charts for the uh, for the perfect commodity, and we looked at a bunch of them: vanadium and cobalt, and all sorts of different things. And we settled, uh, and this is two years ago, we settled on palladium for generation mining. Palladium, of course, is uh, is the hot metal right now, and it was it was starting to get hot then, but nobody was really paying any attention to it. I remember walking around the floor of one of the big mining conventions and only seeing one palladium company out of out of a thousand companies, and I was I was really surprised at that. So I thought it was probably a good time to get into it, and uh, and we did. Appreciate the overview, Carrie, and pretty extensive experience and some interesting stuff you've been involved with and time in the sector. What are some key important items to drive a successful business in this sector that rewards shareholders carry the highlights of, of the key things that really need to come together to really reward and have a successful business in this sector? That's a that's a very good question. I've actually been asked that a few times. So there's I, I look at it as being there's three. If you're operating a, a company, there's three sectors. One is exploration. One is development. That's building the mines. And the third one is operations. And of course they overlap, but most companies kind of fit in, in one of those three categories. And I've never really liked exploration because uh, exploration, if you hit something big, it's fabulous, but it's it's so rare. And the reason minerals are so valuable, um, why gold is where it is per ounce, is because it's rare. And even though there's lots of mines, they're still very, very hard to find. And the easy ones have all been found. So the way I, I look at that is you ha you have to have luck in your business plan in order to uh, to be successful in exploration, which is not entirely true. There are some fabulous explorationists out there who found numerous different mines in their careers, but those guys are rare. The operational side of things, and I've, I've been involved in that, and I, I just find that frankly boring, dealing with unions, dealing with uh, uh, banks, dealing with uh, um, suppliers and, and governments and permitting. All of that stuff to me is is just, it's not that much fun. Um, but obviously people need to do it. The world needs metal. And there's lots of big companies doing it. And lots of big companies are very successful at it. But that's just not for me. So I was always the one in between. I was always the guy that wanted to take the junior mining company and build it into a, an operational company. And at some point get get that operational company taken over. And in order to do that, you need, you need three or four things. One is, and I, I learned some of them the hard way. One of them, you do need a little bit of luck in in the in the your, your commodity has to work. You have to be in a commodity that's that's price is strong, and and will remain strong. And I've been stuck with companies that uh, have have had you know low commodity prices for for many years. But the main thing you need, other than the ability to attract finance, the main thing you need, and this is what I learned the hard way early on, and I I, I was able to repair it with Wheaton River. And that's is you need an you need an exceptional operating team. I learned that from watching other companies, the successful companies like Robert Friedland's companies. He's always hired exceptional people. 
and that's what it takes. And uh, so I'm always very careful in my hiring. Um, you got to get the right chief operating officer. You have to have the right metallurgist. You have to have the right permitting person. You have to have the right geologist. And uh, if you put that whole team together like a, like a sports team and they all work together, and they don't always want to work together, but you got to make them work together, um, you'll be successful provided the pricier commodity works. And as long as you get good projects, and I think the one thing I've been good at is getting good projects o over the years. I, I certainly agree here that, that management and and uh, the team is, is really the key part first, um, because even a you know a terrible management team can ruin a fantastic project. So um, I completely agree with you. Let's let's move over to the market. Let's let's talk about some of those good, interesting metals at this point that you guys are involved with. I'd like to get your thoughts on the palladium market and where it is headed after this substantial price move, and then also your views on platinum at these levels. Let's talk about palladium first. Um, we got into palladium because I, I in, in all of my career, I've never seen a commodity that was so poised for a breakout as this one. You, you had a situation where most of it is used for one thing, and that's catalytic converters in cars. Catalytic converters in cars are required. This is not like jewelry where people can decide, well, I'm going to buy this or not. If you're going to buy a car, you got some palladium in it, if, if, if it's a gasoline car. So right away I thought, okay, governments basically are mandating this metal or, or something that will do the same thing as this metal, but nobody's got anything else. So number one, you, you had a, a guaranteed demand. The second thing was the supply had gone into deficit in 2012. And, you know, the, it always begged the question at first is, well, if it's in deficit, how come the price hasn't gone up? So I started doing my research, and mainly with uh, Johnson Matthey, and you can see their report online. They haven't come out yet with this year's, but uh, the, the reports last year in, in, I think it was February last year, pointed out that palladium, the, 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 the deficit has been made up by what they call surface stockpiles. And those surface stockpiles, with a lot more research I discovered, were mainly ETFs, which have been drained in the last year, and Norilsk, which is the largest palladium miner in the world in Russia. And they had uh, many stockpiles. Uh, it was rumored to be, to be as much as 4 million ounces. And so they were letting some of that into the market and making up those deficits every year. And there was other um, investors who had hoarded the metal um, and, and also we're, we're letting it into the market. But a comment by Johnson Matthey last year was that these stockpiles seem to have dried up. And that pushed uh, last February or March, that pushed the price from 1200 to, uh, I don't know the exact number, but fourteen or $1,500 an ounce in, in a matter of weeks. And that was just watching what, what happens when somebody is not selling and the car companies need to buy. And so during that time, we, we, that's when we started negotiating the purchase of this, this property. But I'll, I'll get back to Palladium. As time has gone on, it's, it's, it's quite clear that there are no more stockpiles. And you've got another situation that is, is making it even worse for those who have to consume Palladium. And that is both Europe and China are adopting standards similar to that in the US and Canada and Japan on emissions. And that's not on a gas consumption, that is on the carbon monoxide and the nitrous oxide that is produced by gasoline powered cars. They have to clean that emission and they are doing that with palladium and rhodium. So you, you got a situation where the use of the stuff in China and Europe, two of the three biggest car markets in the world, is going up by law, required. 
And it's going up by one to two grams per automobile. And that doesn't sound like very much, but in the scheme of a, of a 10 million ounce market, um, one or two extra grams per car. So you're, you're going from three, four, five grams, depending on the car, to five or six grams per car. Suddenly you're using a lot more, you know, 20, 30, 40% more palladium in a time when it's already in deficit. So right now, and what I've been reading and, and is the car makers, especially in China, which has very little palladium production, most of what they do have comes from recycling. Um, they, they, they need it. They have no choice. Uh, they either shut down their production line or they buy it at whatever it's for sale for. And, and of course, it's not a crazy price per, per automobile. It's only a few hundred dollars. But of course, that, uh, that's not pleasant for the end user if he has to pay another hundred or two hundred dollars. But um, it, it's, it's necessary and, and it's not going away. The other thing on the supply side is even though recycling has ramped up, and uh, that's recycling is about 3 million of the 10 million ounces of production per year. The mining hasn't gone up. Um, Norilsk is undertaking a fairly major expansion in Russia, but that's a seven-year project. It just started in 2018. Um, billions of dollars. Of course, timelines on those billions of dollars expansions are often uh, difficult to meet, so we don't know when that's going to be finished. Um, Platte Reef, which was a mine owned by Ivanhoe, has been under construction. And they're rapidly trying to redo their, their feasibility study in order to uh, get into production sooner. They weren't that clear on when they were supposed to be in production in the first place or when they're going to get there. But again, they're only going to be 200,000 ounces of palladium and, and another 200,000 ounces of platinum per year, which is, is a lot for a company, a starting up company, but it's not uh, 200,000 ounces of palladium. That's 2% of the annual market in the world. That's already in about a 10% or a million ounce deficit. And then there's another little mine starting in Russia. I believe it's in Russia by a company called Eurasia. But, you know, that's it. There's no other mines starting up. And the recycling, the recycling situation is, uh, is, is, is ramping up as fast as they can. But at some point, that's going to hit a, you know, a flat line because they're, they're just, they've been digging out the converters from old junkyards around the world as much as they can and recycling them. But, uh, you know, eventually those, those dry up and they can only recycle them as the cars uh, come out of use. So you don't have the supply. You've got the demand legislated by governments to have clean air because in China, literally people were choking and, and getting very sick from carbon monoxide. And that's why these new rules. I want to just ask you, Kerry, just, just a couple questions on that. I, I know that the electric vehicle short term does not, or even medium term, does not really impact the thesis for palladium. But what price does palladium go to and at what point does that price start to incentivize the manufacturers to start to look back at platinum? The manufacturers currently can't look back at platinum because they don't have a formula that works. The, the old platinum ones used more platinum than palladium. So currently, if, if it was economic for them to go to palladium, they would, but it's not. Platinum. So, right, yeah. Oh, sorry, to platinum, you're right. Yeah, platinum. Currently, about a third of world platinum production is already going into converters. So you've got a 9 million ounce market. You've got 3 million ounces going into converters. So, and those are diesel converters, by the way. And then, so you've only got 6 million ounces available. But the problem with platinum in, in a converter for, for gasoline cars is it requires even more. And I don't know the numbers, but um, yeah. So, so that 6 million ounces would only go part way uh, to alleviating the, the situation. The other problem with platinum is it requires more rhodium. 
both converters require a little bit of rhodium and rhodium is in huge short supply it's up to nine thousand dollars an ounce and um, there's just not enough of it all of it comes from or virtually all of it comes from South Africa uh, from a, a few mines down there and just just a little bit more there so the manufacturers so in order for them it's because their equipment set up that are configured to run palladium is that is that one of the hurdles and obviously yes. you just said it it's more more platinum to get to where they need to go so so you you don't see that the attraction to platinum even at current prices really matters well if they did switch to platinum and you're right if they did change their assembly lines and 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 change the chemistry and switch to platinum platinum is going to go through the roof so i don't think they, they're going to be any further ahead that's very interesting and and one other thing one other thing you pointed out due to the short supply who else was uh was was hoarding it um you made mention to that do you do you have any names that were that were out there trying to scoop it up for this purpose no i you know i don't know of any i don't know the names and and they've been very opaque on that issue um i know that the etfs had several million ounces as, as recently as two years ago and now they're down to a few hundred thousand which leads very smart people that i know to speculate that the car companies were actually or, or the the manufacturers of catalytic converters were using the etfs as a as a way to hedge future uh, future supply and then they they actually demanded delivery of the metal in turn instead of just selling it so that's one um you can find those names out online of the etfs but as far as other hoarders i do not know Okay, and Carrie, so as you know, most of your palladium and platinum assets are in places, as you referenced, like Russia and South Africa and, and, and other parts of Africa. There are a few assets in Canada, which obviously will lead us into generation mining, that are attempting advancement. Can you speak to any competitors in Canada and why generation mining might be the superior option on this front? Well, uh, as you may know, there's one producer in Canada currently that's a primary uh, PGM producer, and that's that was a company called North American Palladium, and it got taken over last towards the end of last year by by another South African company. And the other North American asset that is producing was Stillwater, and it was taken over in 2017 by another South African company. So they're they're realizing that South Africa is limited um, in terms of free future expansion, and they're looking elsewhere. Um, as far as undeveloped projects in North America. Um, there are few, you know. There's the, the ones that are out there are small. Um, there just there just aren't very many other than ours, and ours is not that big in the scheme of the world. It's um, 194,000 ounces of palladium equivalent a year if it gets into production, which is about two percent of the market. But that's we're the only one of any size. Uh, there are some big base metal nickel deposits in North America that uh, have byproduct palladium and platinum but those are many many years away from development They're, they've struggled for years to get their permits in this market with the price of palladium where it is carry how excited are people to now start to bring dust off these projects that weren't economic at lower prices and start to try to bring these on are we still multiple years out from anything of size coming in yes the short answer is yes i think we're the furthest along um, because we've got a pea done we've got um, um, a two-year head start on permitting from a previous operator. Um, we are just outside of a mining town. Um, our, lo our, our location doesn't require a lot of infrastructure. We've got power, we've got highway, we've got rail, we've got an airport, and we've got a town uh, just out just eight kilometers from the mine site. So 
we um, I can't see anybody you know provided we do everything correctly and get our permits um, I think we would be the first one to get to get to production but of course we got, we got a lot of hurdles to get over before we get there I'm not saying that uh, it's going to be an easy task. Uh, we got to, we got to finance. We got a permit. We got to do a feasibility study. Right. Well, I want to talk to you about that in just a moment. But just one other question on the broad market a little bit. There's some other metals that are showing up in some of the generation mining projects, uh, including Marathon. Your thoughts on copper and zinc at these uh, current levels? I'm very surprised at zinc. Um, not doing better than it's been doing. Um, I, I think that the uh, zinc miners kind of surprised everybody about two or three years ago by by expanding their their projects their 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 operating mines quicker than uh, than people thought they could and a few uh, a few uh, mothballed mines were reopened when zinc zinc went up through a dollar into a dollar forty or fifty a couple of years ago. Um, I'm still surprised that it's not higher, so I'm probably not a good person to ask about that one. Copper, I think, has been uh, languishing due to the whole U.S.-China, you know, threats and counter threats. And I think if we, as a world economy, get through some of that, I think you're going to see copper rebound. And copper is is necessary. And if there's any ramp up to electric cars, um, that uses a lot of copper. If there's any uh, resurgence of manufacturing in China, um, house building anywhere, because there's lots of copper. Um, there, there's just lots of places for it to be used. So I'm, I'm very bullish on copper, probably more so than, than anything else other than, than uh, palladium. And palladium, of course, I'm, I think it may have had its most of its run. I don't know whether it's going to be going up further or not. But, of course, at today's prices, anybody associated with the metal is, uh, is in a pretty good spot. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's move on here. Let's talk about generation mining. Can you first tell us about just a high-level overview of the Marathon Project, Kerry, the history of ownership, and the current earn-in status? Okay. Well, originally, um, this was considered a copper project because palladium prices were very low when it was discovered. I think it was first drilled in the 1960s by a U.S. mining company as a copper project. So I think palladium was trading around 60 or $70 an ounce or something. And it was pretty low-grade copper, so they drilled a bunch of holes and got a resource together, and it just wasn't economic, so I think it was abandoned. And in the 1980s, when Hemlo was discovered, there was a big staking rush around the area, and this got staked, and uh, a junior mining company did a lot of drilling and eventually, I think, sold it to a, a small mining company who did a lot more drilling, uh, but then they ran into financial problems with a crash of gold in the in the late 90s and uh, eventually closed the company down and, and I think a group of its employees got together and bought it and started a company called Marathon PGM. So from the year 2000 till about 2010, they did an extraordinary amount of work on it, drilled it off, um, did a feasibility study, getting it all ready to go. And uh, in 2010, the American mining company Stillwater purchased that company. Marathon PGM, and they, they paid a lot for it. They paid 118 million US dollars for this project in 2010. And Stillwater had every intention of bringing this project into production. They were permitting, they were buying up hotels along the highway to house their staff, they were doing all kinds of things. And then they, uh, they redid the feasibility study in 2014. And lo and behold, they realized that at $500 palladium that it was not uh, a mine that was going into production. 
So they put it on the shelf. That was 2014. And it disappointed the town. It disappointed the local natives who were looking for jobs and economic benefits. And, and uh, it disappointed a lot of people. So uh, it sat there. And in 2017, Stillwater got taken over by Sabani, the South African company. And Sabani is, for those of you who don't know Sabani, it's the largest platinum company in the world. It's the largest rhodium company in the world. It's the second largest palladium company in the world. And it's the largest gold mining company currently in South Africa. And they they have, of course, their their market cap this year has gone up by in the last 12 months by billions of dollars. So that project was owned then by Sabani in uh, 2017. And when we approached them in early 2000 and, or late 2018, I guess, and finally got through to the right people in 2019, um, went through the data, did our own uh, in-house studies, uh, kind of high-level studies on the economics, uh, and made them an offer to buy it. And fortunately for us, uh, Palladium had already had a move from about $800 or to, to $1,200 an ounce, so we were kind of afraid we already missed it. But um, when we did a little more research on Palladium, we realized that it still probably had a, a pretty good way to go. So we managed to convince them to sell it to us for $6 million Canadian dollars in cash and stock, um, and that was in April last year. We closed the deal in July. The project has, uh, uh, and, and we, there was a number of previous resource estimates, which we promptly set aside, and we went back to all of the original drill holes, and there's been over a thousand drill holes into this project, and we hired a firm and did, there's three deposits, one main zone and, and two satellite deposits, and we did new resource estimates on all three of those, uh, and those came out last fall. Uh, immediately uh, upon the release of the first one started a, a preliminary economic assessment, which is usually your first stage. Uh, and again, we wanted to look at doing it smaller than previous owners. Previous owners were looking at somewhere between 22 and 25,000 tons a day. One of the things that we were learning from the, the market and how the market has changed from, from 10 years ago is that the for a junior company, the market, the investors want to see that you are gonna have your capital expenditures required to start production are gonna be something reasonable, something that a small company can go out and raise. So we did a lot of different scenarios in our studies and determined that the best return for a, a reasonable cap, capital expenditure was 14,000 tons a day. So we've cut it down by about 30 or 40% from previous owners as to what they wanted to, uh, wanted to start up at. We're looking at starting at 14,000 tons a day and then getting to 22,000 tons a day in the uh, in the fourth or fifth year of production. Okay, and can you can you speak to the current earnings status on the project? So we our deal was um, when we paid that six million dollars that got us a 51% interest in the project. And the deal was is that if we spend another 10 million Canadian dollars over four years, we can bring that interest up to 80%. And at that point, Sabani would have to pay 20% uh, and we would pay 80% of future costs. Um, we spent $4 million of that already last year doing these studies, doing exploration, and we've now got $6 million more to spend this year. We've just concluded a, 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 10, a little over $10 million financing. So we now are, are cashed up to spend the rest of that $6 million this year. So we in, intend to finish this year at an 80% ownership level of the property. And where we are on capital structure, uh, Kerry, uh, the cash and debt position, you just uh, alluded to that slightly here, and then also the key shareholders on the roster. 
So we have, um, up until about a week ago, I think we had 93 million shares outstanding. And uh, trading, uh, well, we, our, our shares have had a pretty big move in the last three weeks uh, due, due to the palladium prices going up and due to, uh, due to the re release of our preliminary economic assessment, which I, I'll talk about in a moment. Um, so our capital structure is, and we've just raised this recent money, which will add about another 20 million shares. So we should be around 113 million shares. Uh, plus, we've got a bunch of uh, warrants from our, our initial financing when we started the company um, that, that that are at 20 cents. So those are going to come in. So, you know, call it uh, call it 125 million shares outstanding by by say April. Okay, and the major shareholders. So um, again, before this previous financing, our largest shareholder was Savani. Our next was a company called Zebra Holdings, which is a, a owned by the family of Lucas Lundin, who's a, a mining legend, um, Lundin Mining, Lundin Gold, etc. Those Cisco Metals own 10%. They have been a seller recently. They told us they wanted to get down below 10%. They were they were just over 10%, so they've sold a few shares. Rob McEwen owned 3%. Uh, management uh, owned 9%. Jamie and I have participated in every financing since uh, since we started the company, and uh, um, we we got our shares through purchase the same price as everybody else. We didn't get founder stock when we started this company. I don't believe in that. So that's that's a capital structure currently. Can you talk just briefly about the key people at the board and management level? In addition to Jamie and I, we've got uh, on on the board a couple of recent additions. Uh, Paul Murphy has joined us. Paul was the head of the mining group for PricewaterhouseCoopers in the entire Western Hemisphere when he was working in that side of the business. And then he he became a chief financial officer of a, of a startup mining company called Guyana Gold. He's currently chairman of, uh, of Alamos Gold, a fairly large mining company. Well, Kerry, I appreciate the, the information on the management team. A little bit more on the preliminary economic assessment. If there is a decline in the price, um, you guys are you guys comfortable all the way down to that twelve hundred or thousand per ounce mark? Well, it makes a lot of money at twelve hundred dollars an ounce, so we're very comfortable there. The uh, when we did the stress tests uh, on the project, uh, everything else being equal, it looked like at about nine hundred dollars an ounce, our economics, our, our internal rate of return, uh, goes below twenty percent, and I'm not comfortable building a mine below twenty percent. There's lots of them being built. Platte Reef was being built at 13% uh, IRR. But um, I, I think that, you know, because things can go wrong when you're building a mine, you want to have a, uh, a, a, a at least a 20% IRR. Our IRR at the price when we released the study at the then commodity prices, so December 31st was, was the, where we put the pin in it, was uh, 40, almost 46%. So this fabulous return on capital. But um, no, I'm comfortable uh, down to 20% generally. And, uh, you know, you can still make profits below that, but um, that's kind of my number. And uh, that, that would happen about $900 palladium. That's good. I mean, it looks pretty dang robust. Can you speak to the, the byproducts? Now, I, we've got some copper going, it looks like, and uh, some gold, et cetera. Do you guys see any difficulties with integrating and processing these byproducts? Uh, under the current analysis, um, or is it too much of a challenge to include all the byproducts at this point? 
No, at, um, at, in the study we did at 1275 Palladium, um, copper contributed about 20% of the, or 25, even 25% of the economics. And we recover almost 90% of the copper. So copper is good. Uh, platinum and gold are lower recoveries uh, down in the 70s. Uh, 70% uh, palladium itself were, were just up, almost up to 83%. So we've got some room to try and improve those as we do the feasibility study. But generally, um, we are getting the byproducts out. Uh, we've got a bunch of silver in there that we don't get a lot of. Uh, so we're not counting on, on a lot of money from that. Um, basically, gold, gold, uh, platinum, palladium, and, and copper. And what are the 2020 plans, Kerry? Can you tell us a little bit about the path and the time frame to advance this project? So number one is to start getting, getting the team together getting the, 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 the operating team, uh, especially the chief operating officer, who will then build the team around himself. That's number one. Number two is in conjunction with that hire, um, starting the feasibility study, working with deciding which firm's gonna do it, what the parameters are gonna be, and uh, we expect that feasibility study to take somewhere between six and nine months uh, once we start it. Number three is to restart the permitting program. The permitting was two years in with Stillwater when they pulled the plug on it in 2014. But the good thing is, is that all those studies and the process itself uh, have been kept up to date. And, and the process was not stopped. It was just suspended. So we will be able to restart it and, and we'll be kind of halfway through. So, uh, But we still can't really tell you how long a, a permitting is going to take. Permitting is a, one of those things where you are forced to deal with governments and governments of course don't they don't always get things done when when the private sector wants them to get things done but uh, that said we we're going to work with the government we're going to work with the natives we're going to work with the town and, and we think we're going to get the permits uh d- during this palladium cycle yes certainly and and what do you think they're on time frame i mean i know places like the u.s and canada there's a lot of red tape and it is kind of to some degree sad but are you guys looking at uh, maybe maybe a two-year or less process on the permitting We'd like, we'd like to think we can do it in that time, yes. Okay, no, that's excellent. That, that would be good if you can do it in that time frame for a jurisdiction like Canada. How about the other projects, Kerry? I know Generation has some other assets that are sitting on the portfolio. Is there anything you'd like to point out and what is the plan with those assets? Are you guys looking to mostly monetize those assets to focus on the, on the big prize or what's the status? Well, that's a good question. We've had a lot of internal debate about that, whether to just sell them or uh, we've got a large molybdenum deposit, one of the largest undeveloped molybdenum projects in North America. Uh, molybdenum is very tied to the price of oil. So if you saw oil go back up to $100, that would be a pretty valuable deposit. But right now it's, uh, it's not worth much to anybody. We have a, a, a bunch of exploration properties, zinc, nickel, that kind of thing. I, as I mentioned before, I'm not that into exploration, we may bundle those together and spin it out into another company, do something. And again, that's just another way to monetize it. So um, we don't plan currently any work on any of the projects. And Kerry, speak to the goal at Generation Mining. Um, Obviously you guys have mining in the name um, and I'm assuming management prefers to build this out and actually commission and get going. Um, Do you guys see that uh, you guys will build to advance this Uh, in the expectation of a buyout prior to commissioning an operation, or are you guys really just going to go ahead and continue it all the way through? What do you think is the real goal behind the scenes there at management? Well, the plan is to build the mine, is to go through and build the mine, because uh, eventually eventually one mine companies, if if they have good, good assets, will get bought by somebody. 
and I, I think our goal is to is to get to that. You get a whole lot more for a mine that's built than you do for a, a mine that's under development. But that said, if someone were to make an offer that's a good enough offer, we'd obviously have to consider it. And for potential investors who are listening, Kerry, the stock has run up a little bit, but why should they consider generation mining at current levels? Well, a couple of reasons. One is, is if you just look at the study that was done at 1275 Palladium, and you look at the market cap of our company, and if you look at the a typical gold company, for example, a North American-based developing gold project, they tend to trade at 20 to 40 percent of their of the net present value at the PEA stage where we are. We're still trading at less, and I don't even know what the number is today, but um, we're trading at less than 10 percent of that. So I, even if you don't, even if you think palladium is going to go down, I think we have room to move. And of course, the second one is is that at 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 two thousand dollars palladium, the the numbers are are skyrocketing. And I think we we allude to those numbers in the PEA. Um, I I think our our net present value at under two thousand dollars an ounce palladium doubles to a billion and a half dollars. And I don't know what it would be at twenty three hundred or whatever palladium is at today. It would probably be somewhere, you know, close to two billion dollars. So, if you're going to trade it at a twenty percent or thirty percent value toward of that, you know, we've obviously got a lot of room to go up just just to catch up to our peers in the gold sector. Kerry, how can the audience reach out to contact you and learn more about the company? They can call me. They can email. Uh, they can call Jamie. Um, my email is my name, kerrynola@gmail.com. And uh, Jamie can be reached through the website. The phone number and information contact is there, genmining.com. Okay, we'll appreciate that information, Carrie, and really appreciate you coming on to introduce us to Generation Mining and certainly something that we're keeping an eye on over here and good luck with the progress of the company. Well, thank you, and thanks for having us on. It's, it's really appreciated. It's, uh, it's, it's quite an in-depth interview.